Welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. As always. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, welcome back. We are here. It's been so long since I've introduced an episode instead of concluding the episode. I forgot how to do this, but um, I'm excited to be back recording. We were going to do two two episodes last time we recorded, but that ended up not happening. So we're back with the second one. So, we've, you know, we've had longer than we typically do to, to think about the topic. Um, I, I don't know if I really did think about it any more than normal, <laughs> but it's we've certainly had it set for, for longer. So that's cool. Um, no, but it's a it's an interesting topic, I think. And it's good to be back in somewhat of a rhythm. Um, we kind of touched on this last in last week's episode but school has ended for me for the semester some some chaotic work and family stuff with you has sort of seemingly quieted down at least a little bit um so we're we're looking forward to spending the summer um we've got some you know some some plans we're working on some episodes we're working on and some some special things that we want to try and get done during the summer when we both have uh, potentially somewhat more time i know i will you might not have as much more time so much as just i don't know more vitamin d in your system so a little bit a little bit maybe more energy i don't know we'll see but uh that's not really here nor there we're talking today about uh specifically two sermons these are both sermons that you know that we're looking at written versions of um that kind of represent two sides of a debate that is a very interesting historical um, kind of peek into America's religious history. But it's also, I think, if we want to say it has lessons for our own debates today, or we might even want to say really the debate never ended and it's still basically going on even if some of the details might change but um we can get into maybe our views on that as we go but basically we're going to be looking at these two sermons um one from j gresham machen and the other from harry emerson fosdick two very influential um preachers pastors theologians um and we're not going to really focus on them but we're going to focus on these two uh, articles slash sermons, which uh, they were preached right around the same time, obviously not exactly the same time, and they aren't directly responding to, you know, one to another, um, as far as we know. It's not like, you know, Fosdick's sermon was preached in response to, to Machen's or anything like that, but they do represent two pretty, uh, you know, polar opposite approaches to very similar questions and they both serve as really good representatives of two sides of this debate. And before we get further, I do want to lay a little bit of like groundwork with defining terms. Um, the Harry Emerson Fosdick sermon that we're reading is called Shall the Fundamentalists Win? It's a very famous sermon. Um, and what a fundamentalist is, to put it simply, is an evangelical 
Orthodox Christian. Today, you would call, like if we transported ourselves back in time and we went to a church that was labeled fundamentalist, we would see a lot of parallels with going into churches in our own time today that are labeled evangelical. Um, fundamentalist, we've talked about this before, but fundamentalist as a term has kind of gone through a little bit of, of change and evolution and, and there, there have been, you know, like any movement in, in human history, you know, there's been splits and changes and developments and, and today it has, it has a little bit more of a, of a harder edge sort of sectarian, um, flavor to it than someone like Jake, Jay Gresham Machen would have represented. And, and similarly, um, Fosdick is, is representing, you know, generally speaking, in, in, a lot of times historically, if you read about this, it'll be called the fundamentalism versus modernism debate. And modernist can also be a very kind of vague, pejorative kind of term. I think it's maybe changed a little bit less significantly than fundamentalist has, but um, basically what we're talking about is um, something that would sound pretty familiar to what a lot of mainline Protestantism sounds like today and in the last, for the last, you know, several decades. Um, if, if you were to transport these two pastors into present day, um, you know, rather than a century ago when they were writing and working and preaching, um, you would roughly see Fosdick somewhat map onto um liberal protestantism sort of like capital l capital p you know the the main a lot of the mainline churches the episcopal church the pcusa um, churches like that and you would roughly see machin map onto what we might consider evangelical churches uh, he was a presbyterian but you know so maybe like pca instead of pcusa or like sbc instead of american baptist or or, or northern baptist like that kind of thing um and yeah, we want to be careful with terms because of the confusion that words like fundamentalism can bring, not because they're bad terms or because they don't have meaning, but because we, we don't want to cross wires and think, oh, okay, you know, someone who thinks their church is the only true church, KJV only, you know, that's fundamentalism. So that's what uh, Fosdick is preaching about. It's not, and we'll see as we get into the content that that's not, that's just inaccurate. So we want to make sure from the outset that we're approaching what these two guys are talking about as accurately as we can in order to understand what they're saying so that we can draw lessons from it today. So that's a very long-winded introduction, but I am very excited to dive into these sermons. I don't, I, we haven't talked about like really a structure, so I kind of want to maybe kick it to you and be like, having read through these two, are there... Are there things you want to touch on first? Is there a specific direction or quote? Or maybe you want to go through one and then the other? Like, how, how do you think it would make most sense to you in terms of what, you know, your thoughts and stuff to kind of approach this conversation? Yeah. Well, the difficult thing about evaluating sermons from another world, so to speak. I mean, I forget if this was like 100 years ago or 75 years ago, whatever it was. These were, these were wit written in a time that was different from ours with different um, debates, different issues, a different context. Although there are many similarities, there are parallels. So 
you know, a podcast like ours, I don't think we have space or time or energy to exhaustively dive into these two sermons and nitpick every little thing. Uh, what I what I think would be good of us is to sort of take the gist of both of them, like what they're seeking to say and talk about that, but to then transpose it to our day to see where there's overlap, maybe where there's some difference. Um, because like I said, none of us were living when these sermons were originally preached. So like we have a little bit of, um, I don't know, it's a little bit irrelevant to us in that sense. But I think the general idea of what is being said is what is relevant. So uh, what I wanted to say at the outset is actually a quote from Fosdick. Um, he, so he says about halfway through his sermon, nevertheless, it is true that just now the fundamentalists are giving us one of the worst exhibitions of bitter intolerance that the, that the churches of this country have ever seen. As one watches and listens to them, he remembers the remark of General Armstrong of Hampton Institute saying, quote, Can, uh, cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy, end quote. There are many opinions in the field of modern controversy concerning which I am not sure whether they are right or wrong, but there is one thing I am sure of. Courtesy and kindness and tolerance and humility and fairness are right. Opinions may be mistaken. Love never is. Um, so obviously, both sides of, of this debate, you know, we said fundamentalist versus modernist. Uh, you can maybe say conservative versus liberal. There's probably some interchangeable words that you can use. Obviously, both sides, I think, are <laughs> sort of going to be operating from the assumption that they're right. I think that's just one of the challenges of comparing these two things is the, the fundamentalists see um, themselves as having the the way and everyone else being in error. And I think conversely, the the modernists are feeling the same way. They feel as though they're right, that they're living the correct way, and that the fundam fundamentalists are the problem. I mean, he says in this quote that they're giving us one of the worst exhibitions of bitter intolerance that the churches of this country have ever seen. So that's, you know, pretty strong language right there. Um, but what I, the, the, the sentence that I think is really interesting, and I even kicked around the idea of like, this could almost be the episode title, but cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy. Like, it'd be fun to evaluate that quote. Um, we, we we were once accused on our yeah. podcast of being a heterodox podcast. I for, totally forget I that. about <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like maybe an email. No, 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 no. Back when we had our like mailing a... list, we had we had like that every week I would send out that uh -huh. email. And when somebody unsubscribed, it, it they had like a note, a reason for unsubscribing. Right. And it said uh, yeah. heterodox something, something. Like that's why they left our mailing list. So that's a funny little, you know jab at us which is fine but um i i at least I, we're not cantankerous i i guess yeah i mean if, any, I, yeah, if, if nothing we, else or are we i don't know Tell maybe us. i don't think we are <laughs> but i don't know i think i think most people given our our political culture our political climate given sort of the the the, the world that we live in you know when you when you think of things like for it's it's interesting to me that health care has become a political debate uh, maybe it always has been um, or, you know, you want to talk about, um, any, any number of things that's, that's in the news, you know, we, we, we have conversations about Roe v. Wade and COVID still and vaccinations. And like, you know, we, we sort of have these things that aren't directly related necessarily to the Bible or to theology, but they all have theological implications. Like where you land on any given topic is 
ought to be, I should say, formed, informed by your theology, by what you believe about God, what you believe about humanity, what you believe about his word and how to live in the world. Um, and so it, I, I remember reading this book uh, several years ago now. It was written by Ed Stetzer. Um, but the title of the book was um, something like Christians in the Age of Controversy. Um, so in a, in a world where we have all this controversy, it seems like at any given topic, you know, Marvel movies, you can find controversy. Uh, you want to talk about sports or politics, whatever it might be. We, we have we have all this controversy and we don't always engage well across the line. And that's that problem of being cantankerous. Uh, the that cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy. Um, so I don't know. I'm, that's sort of my thoughts as we approach. I'm curious what you think maybe about that quote. Uh, yeah. And like maybe that direction for this episode. Uh, sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good, you know, cantank- like can- cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy as well as um, the, I think the very end of that quote that you, what, what you read up to the um, opinions can be wrong, but love never is. I feel like that's, those are very good uh, ways to summarize what Fosdick is getting at um, in terms of his sort of big idea in this sermon. But then it, they're also, I think those are, those are very, um, they, they sound very contemporary as, as far as, as uh, ideals and statements that many people, Christian or non-Christian, I think in our, in our culture, in our, you know, I hate this phrase, but like our cultural moment, like I think that that those are the, that sort of attitude is very relevant. And when I say relevant, I just mean in the sense that I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think a lot of people would want to put um, loving your neighbor above the disagreements we might have about the less important things. And and people are going to want to put disagreements over specifics as less important or less, uh, you know, less major less conflicting maybe than having a view that pushes people out of the boundaries right and that's really what Fosdick is doing his issue it's interesting like if you read through this sermon which both of these should be easily available online um, maybe we'll remember to find links and put them in the description if not I apologize um, you know not to put burdens on future gens or anything but um, it is also worth reading these things to get a better idea of the context of, of some of these statements. But also, it is a good summary because what, what he's saying is that the fundamentalists, quote unquote, they've got all of these opinions, they've got all of these beliefs, these things that they say you need to believe. And if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. And he's saying, oh, well, we're, we enlightened people, modernists, are we're, we're perfectly fine with you believing these things. Or not. It's a free country. At one point, he literally says, it's a free country. You can believe whatever you want. Um, the problem is not believing this or that about, you know, a certain doctrine. The problem is saying that you need to believe this or that and the other people are wrong and cannot, you know, honestly say that they're being faithful Christians. And I think that that's just an attitude that a lot of, that a lot of people... Um, are very drawn to, are very persuaded by. And I happen to think that that attitude is generally a good place to start when you're talking with people you disagree with. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, lo- uh, opinions may be wrong, but love never is reminds me of, I don't know if this is where he got it from, but the verse in, 
I should have looked this up, but uh, it's, I think it's first or second Peter uh, towards the end of one of Peter's epistles where he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, I, I don't think that the idea that we ought to love one another despite our differences is really, at least in theory, that controversial of an opinion. <laughs> and I mean, certainly the way that we have very intentionally and explicitly, not that we've had a whole ton of differences that we've come across in the topics we've covered, but that's certainly been a vision of our podcast coming from somewhat different theological backgrounds and interests and traditions to that's, you know, that doesn't get in the way of, of the unity, the unity amongst our diversity. I think that there's a lot here. The question for me is, is and Fosdick is just such a good example of this in this sermon, is, well, what is he talking about when he says heterodoxy? And yeah, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, so far, Fosdick might sound like a pretty solid dude, <laughs> except when you when you follow the rest of what he's saying, because the opinions that he's talking about that the modernists have different views on and the um, and the the fundamentalists aren't allowing the liberals to have different views on, um, he gives four, I believe it's four, very specific examples. Um, I might get the order wrong, but it's the virgin birth, uh, Christ returning, um, at the end times, however, whatever you, you know, just in general, he's not, he's not talking about premillennialism or post, he's just talking about in general, Christ actually coming back. <laughs> um, oh man, where, uh, sorry, I, uh, lost my, lost my, my spot. But the point is like, he's not talking about, oh, I think that, um, you know, you ought to, um, believe that, you know, the earth was, was, uh, created on October 4th in the year 4004 BC. And if you don't believe that exact date, then you can't call yourself a Christian. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, like I said, virgin birth, the second coming. He's talking about the inerrancy of scripture. Um, and these are not the sorts of things that, different opinions on are sort of an insignificant secondary thing that you don't want to blow out of proportion, right? And that's the problem with Fosdick. That's the problem with, with modernists. That's the problem with, with liberal Protestantism. You know, I would say that that's the problem with a lot of mainline, what, what the, the, you know, what little bit I know about a lot of mainline Christianity today. Um, and it's not unique to the liberal Protestant uh, mainline tradition by any stretch, but it's certainly, I think, through people like Fosdick, I think it's 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 obvious that it's characterized that tradition in a way that's that is maybe different than others. But we have to we have to weigh what it is we're talking about. We can't just say the virgin birth. What you believe about the virgin birth doesn't matter. You can believe it happened, or you know you don't have to. And at the end of the day, as long as we agree that we love each other, that has no bearing on our faith, our worship, our, our practice, our fellowship. Um, I, just, I just think that, you know, to, not to get too bogged down in the details, but with the, with the virgin birth as an example, you're taking this, this, you know, 
creedal, um, distinctive characteristic of Christian belief from the very, very beginning of Christianity, prophesied and promised in the Old Testament, and saying it it just doesn't matter for our faith. And, you know, whatever reasons you're doing that, you know, oh, historical study has shown, uh, you know, that this is just a th- something that ancient people said about people that they really admired. And, oh, you know, we know from modern science now how the human reproductive process works. So we know that that's just not naturally something that happens. So that must there must be some kind of explanation that, you know, can explain that away without a miracle or whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter how you get there or why you get there. But the point is that, like, we in, you know, 1922 or in 2022, you know, we're going to just throw out 2,000 years of, of, of Christian reflection on the birth of Christ and everything that the New Testament says, reinterpret it according to our own cultural expectations and beliefs and presuppositions, and then say that that not only do that, but then say that at the end of the day, this is just an opinion that doesn't matter, right? And, and we've talked about things like the virgin birth, like these creedal issues where we're not talking about, oh, what color is the carpet in the church? Or, oh, you know, what, what clothes does the minister wear uh, on Sunday morning? And, you know, these, these very uh, on their own insignificant things that you can disagree on or have different practices on that's just, it's just different. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think if, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I, I don't think what anything we're going to say about the importance of these kinds of core doctrinal uh, orthodox positions, like, I don't think that's going to, our opinion probably isn't going to surprise you. Um, but I do think it's worth, it's worth highlighting like this is what Fosdick is talking about. This yeah. this is the modernist fundamentalist divide. It's not, oh, the the traditionalist Christians are being very uh, intolerant, and the modern liberal Christians are being loving. Like, it's not that simple. That that would be an easy choice, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, because I do think he's right that love is never wrong. But I think love does not exist. Love isn't some abstract ideal divorced from God's revelation of himself to mankind. Hmm. Like you don't you don't know love outside of the triune God, the father sending the son and the power of the spirit to save his people, build his kingdom for all eternity. And, and you, you don't have that revelation without the virgin birth, for example. You don't have that revelation without Christ's return, for example. You know, we can go down the list yeah. of these things that are just in a different category than, you know, the exact age of the earth. Yeah. You know, or the, 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 the date that Jesus was born. Right. You know, there, there are, we, you, you can find these things that just are not as important. But you have to treat the things that are more important as if they are more important, if that makes sense. I think so. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, what these two sermons highlight is something that is still relevant today. We have this great divide between political sides, between theological sides, um, maybe even between socioeconomic sides, whatever, whatever, 
whatever these things are that divide us, there there is a great chasm that seems to exist, and um, especially in our culture. I mentioned that Ed Stetzer book. It's called Christians in the Age of Outrage. Um, I was going to read a quick excerpt, and then I had a comment. Um, but he said, uh, I learned this lesson early in my marriage. The person is more important than the point. Then as I grew as a person, I saw that was true not only in my marriage, it was true in all my relationships. You can insist you are right all the time, or you can have friends, but you can't do both. So he's being a little tongue-in-cheek. He's talking about the issues that we have on social media where, you know, you post something to Facebook and suddenly it's just a, a screaming match. And, I mean, how many minds have you ever changed in the comment section on any tweet, on any photo, on any post on Facebook? Um, it, it's just, you guys all know what it's like. You're, you've all been there. Maybe you're not on social media anymore for those very reasons. Um, and so we we live in this age of wanting to be right. I think, I mean, that's probably been true of all history is people want to have knowledge. They want to be correct in their knowledge. They want to be viewed as being right. Um, but there, I think there are things that are more important than always just being right. It is important to have a solid, firm, uh, theological uh you know, belief that undergirds all that you do, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about the virgin birth, talking about the um, the sinlessness of Christ, whatever it might be. Like, those are all very important and inform how you live. Um, but also very important is how you love other people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think today, um, I'm, I'm no sociologist, I'm no uh, expert in any sense of those words. Uh, but what I can see on social media is a great divide, if we wanted to say between people who are conservative and people who are liberal. Um, those words probably aren't the best descriptions, but I think they're, they're, they're words that are used a lot today. And uh, what I think is more important than either side thinking they are right is seeking to build bridges across that political or theological or whatever divide. Um, I know I know. recently, anyway, on social media, uh, Lucas has not been very active. Um, I, I was telling him about this before we started recording. Uh, but the, these two sermons, we, we started reading them like uh, two and a half weeks ago or so. And so I've had a while to think about it. And in that time, there's been a lot of conversation, for example, about Tim Keller. Uh, there, there's this sort of, I don't know if raging debate is the right term to use about it but there there seems to be this conversation about tim keller uh being a problem you know uh conserve quote-unquote conservative people view him as a problem because he's trying to pave this quote-unquote third way that seeks to uh bridge between the conservative and the liberal who who's trying to um reckon with the fact that republican and democrat are not terms that can neatly fit into the christian world um, because, uh, you know, care for widows and orphans and minorities, uh, you know, those things are important. Uh, but so is uh, the, the, I guess, life uh, in the womb even. So like it, these issues that seem to be maybe in different camps or people in other camps care about them more. Um, both of those things are causes that Christians ought to care about. And so how, how do you um, live in this world that is so messy that for whatever reason has to be such a politicized world. Um, and like I said, it seems like Tim Keller in recent tweets and articles and books is trying to pave this quote unquote, not new way, but this, this third way um, that seeks to be what 
I think Fosdick is trying to say, um, I'm going to pull that back up here. There, there's a point that Fosdick makes where he says, um, I plead thus for an intellectually hospitable, tolerant, liberty loving church. Um, I mean, that would be something that I think would be pretty cool to see a, 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 a church that is intellectually hospitable where, where you can engage um, not in an age of outrage, uh, but an age of uh, kindness, in gentleness, in humility, with grace. I mean, those are the things that should be marking the Christian, that, that characterize who we are as believers. Uh, but so often those are the things that, that don't characterize us. Um, you know, again, when he uses words like tolerant, liberty-loving, maybe he has a different meaning for those words uh, than we would like. But I think th- the fact still stands that we ought to be striving for those things. Um, and as we wind down here, I'll just sort of give the the peek behind the curtain. I'm going to read the the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. And I feel like, man, what a what a radical thing when Jesus prays uh, that we might be one as he is one with the Father. I mean, we could do a whole year-long exposition on what that means to to be one as brothers and sisters, as, as God himself is one. Um, I don't know. I, now I'm just rambling, going to kick it back to you. What are, what are you thinking? Um, how do we want to sort of round out this conversation? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is like Fosdick insofar as there is a bad guy, Fosdick is the bad guy. The liberalism fails through and through every time. And, and these are not sermons about politics. And I, it's very unfortunate that we're only capable of thinking in, in one key, which is a very narrow, both chronologically and geographically, understanding of what politics looks like in our own country. And the truth of the matter is what Fosdick says he wants isn't what Protestant liberalism offers. And it can't offer that because it's it's built on sandpaper. It, it just doesn't work. And what I think maybe to wrap up is, is to, you know, is to look at what may, you know, so Fosdick's main point is this, this tolerance so that you can just decide, you know, basically based on the fads of the day, what you believe about these core Christian affirmations that go back millennia. And, Machen's main point in his sermon, um, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned, is, is called History and Faith. His main point is the importance of history. He, you know, in, towards the beginning, give up history and you can retain some things. You can retain a belief in God. But philosophical theism has never been a powerful force in the world. You can retain a lofty ethical ideal. But, the per- but be perfectly clear about one point. You can never retain a gospel, for gospel means good news, tidings, information about something that has happened. In other words, it means history. A gospel independent of history is simply a contradiction in terms. And I think that the way, the, the answer to the, to the disagreements um, is to, you know, I'm being a little cheeky here, but is to be a Christian, meaning someone who is rooted in the historical work of God in the world, the word of God working 
out through his people by the spirit that has been going on since the creation of mankind, you know, and we have, we have a, uh, pretty important, um, written record of it that we have access to and have always had access to. And that is the foundation, right? Like, like, what does it mean to say love is never wrong? Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, once again, God is love. What is, who is this God? It is, it is only by the historical, um, uh, the, the, the literal things that God does that we know him and, and how do we know him? We know him in Christ. And these are the things that are being thrown out for the sake of intellectual tolerance and, and honesty and stuff, which is why I find Fosdick such a fascinating figure. And this sermon is, 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 is such an interesting read because, um, he's just so wrong, (laughs) you know, like, and he's not, um, He's, he, he makes perfect sense in his own context, um, you know, historically, theologically, intellectually. Um, and, but, and we can trace his lineage, not him as an individual, but just the stream that he stand, stood in. You have declining mainline churches that have compromised on core, you know, orthodox affirmations of Christian belief, that which is not me talking down, it's me observing. And the result is decline right? Like what work is actually being done for the sake of this gospel, this good news for the widows and the orphans and um, those who are vulnerable, those who are uh, impoverished. It's not by and large, these, you know, elderly, you know, wealth hoarding, old timey mainline Protestant churches that are actually getting anything done for the kingdom. And it's, it's precisely because when you unhitch yourself from history, from the history of God in the world, God with us, you lose your foundation and you just become another um, well-meaning and at times maybe really effective, just, you know, humanitarian club, which is good for what it is, but that's not the church. You know, that's certainly not the peak of what God wants his people to be, Um and it there there are there's much more <laughs> uh, that God will and and does do, um, and what Machen is is arguing for, and what the fundamentalists in you know hundred years ago were were maintaining was this connection point. We could maybe think this this commitment to not leaving behind who we know God to be, who the Christian church has always known God to be. Um, I think back to our episode on, on creedalism and confessionalism, um, I, you know, episodes we've done on specific creeds and confessions. Those just go out the window if you reorient yourself to, you know, a perspective that, that things that seem perhaps esoteric or irrelevant, like the virgin birth or whatever, they're, they're just not. So when you, when you say these things, I, I don't see how they have any bearing on modern life in, in my own view. So I'm just going to ignore their importance. It's just so backwards. And I think that the results sort of speak for themselves, you know, and I'm not, again, you know, I'm, I'm, 
legitimately not trying to disparage mainline churches. I know that there are there are strong mainline congregations and individuals. I, I know that. I know some of them personally. Um, and that's that's not my point. But my point is, if we're taking sort of this bird's eye historical view, I think you see the heritage of Fosdick and Machen if you if you trace them through and you see within within their context of, of Protestant American Christianity, you, you see two very different outcomes today. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, Fosdick is this, you know, joker, evil person and Machen is this heroic superhero or whatever, or that, you know, the the modernist tradition is all all garbage and the fundamentalist slash evangelical tradition is all good. That's by no means accurate. But what is true is is taking these sermons as sort of representatives of these two perspectives. There's a clear there's a clear choice in my mind to um, maintaining the tradition, the great tradition. You know, we talk a lot about retrieval. You can't retrieve what you've just let drift off into history, right? And I think that this this resurgence in this interest in retrieving the tradition, uh, particularly amongst lower church, evangelical-minded American Christians um, that we've been influenced a lot by on this podcast as well as individually, is a direct testament to the, the problems that perspectives, modern perspectives like Fosdick's, the problems that those perspectives lead to. This, this detachment from history leads to a detachment from the faith because the faith ultimately is historical. It ultimately is grounded in real objective events that the real person, persons of the Trinity have actually done, which require a certain set of beliefs, you know. Again, not about the color of the carpet and so on, but about there are certain things that are that are just that are just too precious to to put on the shelf. And I feel like that's what Fosdick is doing. And at the end of the day, love matters more than opinions and cantankerousness is a sin in my opinion. But at the end of the day, what are you left with when in the pursuit of tolerance, you give up any sort of conviction? You're not loving anybody. You're certainly not setting up the next generations for any sort of vibrant faith. You know, and I think mm. you can, you, you know, you think about the the development of like Unitarianism, you know, in, in New England and 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 what the congregational churches look like now <laughs> there. Like you, you go to Jonathan Edwards Church's website. It's still there. It's got a website. Not something that is really recognizable, you know, mm. uh, and, yeah. and I think that 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 is um, perhaps emblematic of the problem in people like Fosdick. And I'm not trying to pick on him individually because he's just one of us this whole tradition um i don't know that was a little preachy and maybe i got a little a little soapboxy but i do think it's it's you know i do think it's very clear that to follow fosdick is not something that you can really do and maintain any sense of no pun intended historic christianity hmm. for for reasons that are that are that are clear when you look at the things he says about these core historic christian um positions on things i don't know I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh, that was a little rambly, but um, I just think it's. I think it's. It's interesting to look at at 
Machen's insistence on the historicity of of things, um, yeah. which has its own flaws and problems, but but it's certainly as a starting point something that's much more compelling to me, at least. Yeah, no, and that's totally fair and understandable. I I think it's funny how I got so caught up on some of those individual lines that I, I think I sort of like missed the bigger picture of what each of the sermons was saying. And even just like to read a sermon completely out of context, like I think that's what what you're prone to is like you just grab onto something unless you read it and read it and read it and read it over and over and just like uh, analyze all the main points. Um, you know, that but that line of cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy, I think is almost like a, uh, you know, that could be a, um, why am I blanking on the word? Um, uh, like when you have an article that has like a really, uh, like a title that's trying to c- catch you. What's that word? Clickbait. Clickbait. Yeah. That man. Sorry. Thanks. That that title. Like that. <laughs> that sentence was very like clickbaity to me, and so I I just was like drawn to it, and then I kept thinking about that, and then thinking about it in modern contexts. Um. So yeah, I don't disagree with you. I I, I think you and I would be on the same page. Um. I just. Again, that's what's interesting when to give you another peek behind the curtain when Lucas and I are like, hey, we're going to do an episode on this, whether it's on a topic or, you know, Lucas was the one who provided these two sermons to read. Um, We don't do a ton of in-depth preparation ahead of time because we like to engage conversationally to see like what we picked up on differently, um, where we had similarity. And I think this has been a good example of like where we diverged a little bit and what we focused on. Um, but I think you and I, at the end of the day, would still be in pretty close agreement. Because, um, yeah, I, we can't lose our history. We can't lose the foundation of uh, of who we are. But at the same time, we also can't be cantankerous little turds when engaging with people across the aisle. So, like, the, the, you can have a little bit of correctness even when you're completely wrong in other places. Um, and so how do we engage well with people, especially those with whom we disagree. And that was sort of like my big point, my takeaway in this. Because I know that these would be two people who would have great disagreement, these two sermons. There are people that exist today that are heirs of both of their traditions. And how can those people engage well and not be cantankerous? Um, I I like that word. I think it's funny that it's there. Um, How can you not be Christians living in an age of outrage? How can you be... Um, gracious? How can you be kind? How can you be gentle in your engagement with other people? So that's that's my hypothetical question that I want to leave you guys with. And as I said, we're going to pray out uh, with the high priestly prayer. Uh, bear with me as this is a little bit long, uh, but starting in verse one, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. 
I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying for, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be, so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the founda- before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that you so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I be in them. Amen. Hey, Amen, man. We gotta right. dive into that one day. Right? <laughs> That'd be a good one. There's there's some stuff there. That that little bit about the son of destruction. Uh, that's a that's a good one. Good little conversation piece. But thank you guys for listening to this episode. Thanks for bearing with us and uh, making it this far. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'm always blown away by the fact that people still like listen to our podcast some 200 episodes later and two years and some odd months into this. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you'd like to continue to connect with us or connect with us for the first time, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can also send us any emails, questions, feedback, episode ideas at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to go a little bit above and beyond and support us, we do have a link to t-shirts that you can purchase in our uh, in our bio on Twitter and I believe also on Instagram. Uh, but we'd just love to hear from you. We'd love to connect. We'd love to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, at the end of the day, we hope you're doing well and we will see you next time.